Hello and welcome to the Birdie Bug Pod, episode nine. It it feels like it's been a while. <laughs> it has been a while, to be fair. So we should probably have a little explanation of where we've been. Well, we, yes, we've been in our sick beds, haven't we? So, um, uh, pretty much wiped out over what the last two weeks, yeah, I guess, from over, Boxing Day onwards. So oh, I, was, I was ill before that so i was ill in the lead up to christmas and then you've been ill post christmas and so it sort of ended up meaning that it's taken out quite a lot of our time uh, yes because it's been we weren't ill at the same time no and we were going to do this uh this sort of uh a start to the new year 2023 with some good news stories and we were going to do that for the beginning of january yeah. and we're a little bit little bit behind but i am starting to feel vaguely human again i mean i've been better now for a week or two yeah um so yeah has it been a slight delay I, I think everybody has experienced it to some level this year everyone over christmas has either had covid the flu or a cold and uh yeah we were both hit by a fluey type thing but we're back we are back and i'm very glad to be back because that's as poorly as i've been for probably i don't know 30 odd years i would think so for a couple of three days i was yeah, completely wiped out. So um, I'm very pleased to be upright, actually. Yeah, it does mean we probably don't have too much catch-up to do because we haven't done a lot other than lie, lie <laughs> well, around and recover. I've watched probably more film. I watched more films in four days than I've probably watched in four years. So um, yeah, um, I think I got into the Mission Impossible films. So uh, that was quite fun. But hopefully now we should be back to our our normal schedule. Um, yeah. Do you have any like relevant animal, wildlife, dog for catch up, or was it mainly just we've been ill? No, I've hardly, literally, hardly been out. I did go out yesterday for the first time uh, since the beginning of Christmas. Um, had a little walk around the wetland centre in Arundel, which was lovely for an hour. But apart from that, um, we did a little thing about National Bird Day. Uh, which was yesterday. Um, Thursday. Thursday. What day is it today? Saturday. Which was th- Thursday. So, so yeah, not a great deal to, to catch up about, really. No, me neither. Not not that's particularly relevant to um, to the content of the podcast. We might as well just go straight yeah, in. To let's, the... let's crack on. So, well, so, so what are we chatting about today? Well, like, like we said, this was originally planned for sort of towards the end of December, maybe right at the start of January. But um, we thought it'd be a nice way to end 2022 and start 2023 with a bit of positivity. And so we've each just brought a few good news stories to do with wildlife, conservation, rewilding, things that have gone well. Uh, we often focus on maybe you know the stuff that we need to do or or maybe some of the stuff that um, needs fixing. But these are just some projects and some wildlife stories that are just overly positive where things have been good. Yeah, and there are some really good things. And it's a good thing to talk about all the, the positive stuff that's going on in the background because actually, you know, this last couple of years, it's just all been doom and despair, hasn't it? So I think one of the biggest things for me um, has been... The COP15, which obviously was... Um, quite recent as Quite well. recent, and 200 countries. It's a landmark uh, agreement between 200 countries to try and halt and reverse loss of biodiversity by 2030. And there's a huge raft of uh, things that they're going to try and implement um, from reducing pesticides, protecting wetland areas nature reserves green spaces blue spaces it's it relates to marine as well as uh on the land um and it is a real landmark agreement because, to have that many countries yeah involved. to have that many countries actually agree 
pretty much conclusively on on all of the points that were raised. So normally, you know, you get these things and they'll argue about it for five years and um, it takes that long to sort of to make an agreement but this was done pretty quickly and it's also i think nice that let's say you'll have to see how much of it actually reaches the target but the fact that a lot of the targets were by 2030 being only what seven years whereas yeah typically they'll be like oh we'll do this by 2050 and it's just it's not good enough it's just too long of a time and so the fact that quite a lot of the targets were set within the next seven years was in itself i think a positive thing oh no definitely the targets Um, aren't 30 years away um so hopefully i say you never know how much will get done but hopefully it will at least push the agenda slightly further yeah and i think also it's just the the scale of it as well for 200 countries to 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 actually make that international uh, agreement i think is is a landmark uh thing to happen and let's hope i mean we (laughs) we talk about hope don't we and we we know from past experience that governments promise a lot and deliver deliver very little so all we can do is keep an eye on it i've the some of the places that are obviously monitoring that really closely are the RSPB, um, the WWT as well. Wildlife and Countryside Link are yeah. also very good. They they're, have all come out and said what a fantastic thing this is. However, it has to happen. Yeah. And, and they're, they're going to monitor that quite closely and they're working, you know, they're, they're instrumental in working with these governments to, to try and make sure that it does. So, But for now, at least... People are talking about it, but people are so talking we'll take about that as a little win. it. And the fact that two hundred nations have gone, yeah, actually, we really need to protect our our wild spaces and our green spaces and our wildlife. That in itself is is something to be really positive about. Yeah, and I I was I was really. Yeah, I was really positive about yeah, that. Yeah, lots of good stuff. On, so that's on good social stuff. Media. So, so I mean, that's our probably our our only politically relevant. Yeah. positive news. The rest are a little bit more species specific uh but it's a nice one to start with yeah do you, um, well, do you want to kick off on something positive then yeah i was gonna kick off on a slightly more niche one where which because i think some of the ones that we'll talk about people would have heard uh heard of in the news or if people watch spring watch autumn watch they get mentioned whereas this is a little bit more niche but it's about the large blue butterfly oh, okay um which is actually one of europe's most uh, or rarest species of insect or, or most endangered is what I was going to say one of the most endangered insects in Europe it was declared extinct in the UK in 1979 right it was then reintroduced through like the caterpillars and stuff in 1983 after a real push from conservationists because it's such a rare species across Europe there was a real push to get population back in the UK and the, this year has been the highest breeding level for 150 years of of large blue butterflies. It means that it's an absolute, like, globally significant population that we're housing now in the UK. There's been 12 new sites created um, sort of in mid-Somerset to an area called the Cotswold Hills, and it's been... Essentially, they've created meadows with the flowers that they like and trying to keep... So this has been done specifically for for that butterfly. I mean, these meadows and these habitats benefit... A whole the whole ecosystem yeah. you know it, it just because it's great for this species they're, they're also great for all the other insects and it, as we've said before if it's good for insects it's good for the birds yeah. and, and stuff like that but it was a specific push for the large blue butterfly and i said the the news story was that it was a yeah breeding at the highest level for 150 years 
because it's not just rare in our country, but across all of Europe, it's now a globally significant population. They've really suffered with recent droughts. And there was a concern because we had a big drought this year that, that maybe it would undo some of this work that's been done. But they've actually had a really good year. But yeah, it's just it's good to see that the insects or at least an, uh, an insect that's, that's historically done quite badly has, has had a really good year despite our weird weather. We've had droughts, we've had floods. Yes, because that's actually had quite a significant effect, hasn't it? The drought, particularly in the summer, has had a big effect on flora, fauna, um, trees, all all sorts of, uh, you know, um, nature. Yeah, and because there's been such a push over the last few years to build these these sites and these habitats, there was a concern that they wouldn't do so well given the weather. Um, But no, breeding at the highest level for 150 years. Large blue has had a a good year. That's a well. That is a good news story. Okay, well, I, I'll go on to one that's probably uh, close to my heart because um, we've done a whole podcast about them. No, this is something else. Oh, actually. okay. I, I, this is a bird actually that I really, really not only want to see but want to hear. Oh, it's bitten. Uh, booming bitterns, uh, the the UK's loudest bird, yeah. actually. And there's some really good news stories about bitterns because back in 1997 there was only 11 left in England. Oh, blimey. Uh, in, in the whole of the country. And so they, the RSPB and other organisations went on a huge push for habitat recreation, reed beds, water areas. Um, WWT were involved in this as well. And since then, numbers, since 2006 actually, numbers have increased year on year. And 2022 was record numbers of bitterns recorded. Oh, that's recorded. brilliant. Now, Recorded up to two hundred and thirty uh, bitterns in across the UK. So, um, and that is a bird that I, you know, we're going to go on later on to what we want to do, maybe things that we want to do and see and uh, experience in twenty twenty three. And I need to hear a boom. I, I think my I actually might have somewhere to take you. I think one of my friends. Um, went bird watching in Hampshire and she saw a bittern. She didn't hear it. They're, wrong, they're quite wrong. elusive. They're very yeah. hard to see. She was but. with another friend who's quite an avid bird watcher and, and he spotted it. And so there is an area not far from me where they they can be spotted. I have seen one. I've never heard one. Right. Um, but that would be... But it's good to hear that they're doing well. Yeah, they're doing really well. And I think some of the some areas, particularly uh, Norfolk is a really good area, um, which obviously I visited this year or last year. And um, but they're you know in the south of England now as well. Um, they're doing really well. Yeah, that, so is, that is a positive. That's a good news, news story. story. Yeah. So um, what else you got? This is one that people probably would have heard of. Uh, I'm pretty sure, if I remember correctly, it was mentioned in Autumn Watch. I think, but it's the bison. Ah, yes, I've been reading a little bit about yeah. that. And uh, obviously, not only were they reintroduced in 2022 in July, we had three bison introduced into woodland in Kent. Yeah, and they were brought over because the way they graze and and their behaviour is really good for creating a more natural, biodiverse woodland habitat. Yeah, they're, they're just important for maintaining that biodiversity across different flora and trees, just from what they eat. And it was a way to try and almost like rewild this area and, and get a, a, a species back into the country. I did actually see a job to be the bison ranger, but sadly I don't have any experience handling large mammals. Um, <laughs> so I did, actually a job, a bison yeah, was, ranger yeah, in the well, UK. You had to have experience, whether it had been like working in a zoo with yeah. large mammals or something like that. Sadly, I, I couldn't apply. Um, so not only is that project going relatively well, 
But when they were introduced, it wasn't known that the female was pregnant. And so she then gave birth in, I think it was early September. And apparently they're quite well known for hiding their their calves, um, like with, between them and trying yeah. to keep it safe, you know, keep it, I yeah. guess, in a big herd in the middle. And it wasn't discovered until the 9th of September. That's the first bison to be born in the UK That's for incredible. a huge amount of time. And so not only did is that project going quite well and we've got bison roaming in, in Kent, but a little baby was born. Well, thousands of years I've got here that bison were on the... We're in the UK yeah. thousands of years ago, but haven't been, you know, for, for a, long, for a long, long, long time. So the so. fact that not only were they reintroduced, but we then have the first one born for thousands yeah. of years. It's just a, a an uplifting story. And I do, I'm pretty sure the reason why I remember it from Autumn Watch is they showed a little clip of the baby bison yes. and the calf yes, running up did. and down. And it's just, it's just incredible to see that sort of animal back in, in the UK. And There's quite a few stories like that, isn't there, about the reintroduction of various uh species that that used to roam the countryside in this country and now don't yeah and it's Obviously, often beavers is one and we've talked <coughs> about beaver reintroduction yeah. in previous podcasts but um uh, the beavers have been particularly uh particularly successful yeah. reintroduction and it is one of those things where because the the ecosystems and habitats and all the other wildlife would have spent thousands of years with bison and beavers and lynx yeah. and wolves and they've all evolved together which is one of the reasons why the habitats would have taken on the formations they did with the behaviors of the animals that were there so when we talk about rewilding it makes sense to bring them back they they've shaped the habitats yeah. for so long that bringing them back is a, is a great way to get those habitats back to a more wild setting because they, they literally have their niches they graze what what needs to be grazed for other animals to flourish and so that they they're like a missing piece of the puzzle when it comes to rewilding so yes, i love there, seeing them come back and there are lots of success stories like that and beavers obviously is one um in particular and um there was a project that started in east devon i think it is uh, on the river otter funnily enough it's yeah. called the river otter and they think that the very first beaver that appeared on the river otter was actually not a registered um, no, they're basically release. smuggled in well it was either an escapee um, i think it was smuggled and, and defra uh wanted to capture it and put yeah. it back into captivity a, a and the local community apparently wanted it to stay it. I think so they then started a project uh, a five-year trial um on the river otter and uh, that was back in 2014 i believe because i think it was technically in an enclosed space yeah so the only way they got around the legality of not releasing a species was it was wild, but there was across a huge amount of land, I guess, uh, fencing. So they yes. they were technically not wild. Yeah. So they did. They... A, so they did this five year yeah. trial, and then in 2015, the first baby beavers were born and were filmed, and then by 2018, uh, they were starting to expand the area that they were operating in. Um, and then 2020, the Devon Wildlife Trust released the River Otter report, and that demonstrated that the reintroductions of the beavers on the river had improved the water quality, reduced a flood risk, and had actually benefited all the other wildlife, such as the otters. The otters yeah. were thriving because the water quality had improved. There were more fish in the rivers. There was etc. etc. Yeah, so, I think we spoke... and it was a, a real. 
um, considered report that they did. So now, obviously, they're staying. Yeah, and I think so, we spoke in the Dispelling Wildlife Myths episode about people think beavers damming up a river must be bad for fish populations because the fish then can't move up and down the river. But all the research suggests that they're actually brilliant for yeah. the fish populations. And again, as with the bison, those fish would have evolved for a long time with beavers modifying the ecosystem way before we yeah. removed them. And so they work very well together. And it, so it's not too surprising that, that all the other wildlife, and I think we, we've banged on about how yes. great beavers are for, for the whole ecosystem, but it's just nice when there's an actual report. Yes, and there that, since and, that, since that, um, that trial, there's been so many other sites in the UK now. There's one, uh, the Ham Fen Beaver Project in Kent. There's one Kent, in London, I think. Cornwall. First time beavers in London yeah. for 400 years. And, they, and think, they're, they're doing they are, really well in Enfield, I think yeah, that is. And they are, I think, I can't remember whether it was 2022 or 2021, but they got official like legal protection. Yes, as in they, are they, they are now registered as protected. a protected species rather than a, an invasive yeah. release. They are now breeding on Exmoor. Yeah. Um, and Nottinghamshire, Essex, Sussex on the Nepp Estate, which we've talked about the Nepp Estate before. They've got beavers on there. And in Cheshire. So... And every one of those projects that have taken place, every one has reported how beneficial it yeah. has been, not just to the wildlife, but the actual flood risks. Yeah, um, very beneficial to local communities for that, for that reason. People talk about, oh, we need to build more flood defences or how do we manage the flood risk across wetlands? And it's like, don't worry about human like infrastructure. Get a beaver in there. Yeah, absolutely. They are. And I say, every every area that I've spoken about there has just all flourished. All, flourished. It's incredible. Ecosystem engineers. Yeah, so I think, to be fair, out of all of our stories, well, the biggest success probably does go to, to the beaver because they, they're from not being here to now being quite widely recognised as so beneficial has been just such a lovely success story to follow. And hopefully it will just keep going. Yeah, no, I think that's it. I think the impact that they're having on the on the uh, countryside and the ecosystems is just phenomenal. And, you know, if you haven't read about those projects and the effect that beavers can have, the, the beneficial effects that beavers can have on the environment, then I really do recommend there's some really good little videos as well of um of beaver activity yeah and if you all right you know we're a bit nerdy but hey and as a as a goal for 2023 if you can go and see one they are just awesome creatures well i'd see. like to go up to the i'm going to go up to the nepa state because that's only about 20 minutes 25 minutes away from me so i'm going to go and see if i can spot yeah. some beavers up there i will report back as we that. mentioned before i don't only ever seen them in in france but they are quite a sight they're much bigger than you'd think and they are just brilliant looking yeah, creatures absolutely amazing uh, most of my other stories are sort of slightly smaller ones i think you've got one other slightly bigger one if you wanted to go ahead with curlews ah uh, yeah the curlews and again we did we did a whole podcast about call of the curlew and uh yeah we're in, well known for loving them and how endangered they are they are the highest profile red listed bird in the uk at the moment in fact and globally actually so and we did a whole podcast about curlews because we love them. Um, and there are some massive efforts going on um, to try and help the curlews. Um, and we talked about uh, habitat regeneration and that what they need is they need wetland areas of farmland and... Protection uh, while they're nesting. And protection while they're nesting and all of those things. And those things are happening on a small scale, but they're also doing things 
called head starting and head starting is one of the areas that curlews are nesting on quite a lot funnily enough is airfields because they are there's relatively a uh, small amount of predators across airfields so what's been happening recently is the RSPB and other organizations have been collecting a certain amount of eggs from airfields curlew eggs and then they take them away they incubate them and then they're reintroducing them into various areas and this is called head starting so when the the hatched chicks are old enough to fledge and and to look after themselves they then get reintroduced into various areas and one of the areas close to my heart and now yours because i took you there a year or so ago is dartmoor yes so they've been head starting curlews because the population of curlews in in dartmoor has absolutely plummeted but there's been some really successful head starting projects going on um they've introduced you know 20 here and 30 there and and the news is that they're doing really well. So, um, so that was a good news story. I think for again me. that they actually mentioned. Or did they did a little thing about that on Autumn Watch? I think it was after the fire that happened on the. Was it? Was that on the? That was Wild. No, that oh, was Wild Ken Hill. Hill, and it impacted a load of populations. And they were doing the the head started where they were rearing the chicks yeah. and introducing them. And I think that the studies or, or the research was showing that those reintroduced chicks were integrating very well. Yes. They were, there was always the worry that they wouldn't perform quite as well as yeah. the colony that reared their own chicks. But the, the ones being hand-reared by humans and then introduced were actually integrating, breeding, forming social group stuff really, really well. And it was a nice uh, positive thing to know that that method works yes in fact wild ken hill is one of the areas they have been head starting and funnily yeah. enough south downs as well oh okay they've been doing it on the south downs so it's nice to know that that's working especially so, on dartmoor because so that's working and anything any positive news about the curlew, the curlew is. is good for us and um you know so i love reading about stuff like that so so that was a good thing that that made me happy um Go on. I was going to say, I've got a couple of little fishy ones. Oh, go People on. on the fishy ones, yeah. which I actually end up researching. All mine are sort of birds and yeah. things. So. Well, I ended up doing this research for a positive news Instagram post for, for the Rivers Trust, and so I thought I'd bring it over here as well. Um, one was, I don't know if you've heard about eDNA or environmental DNA. It's a very clever tool. No, I haven't. Where essentially where we exist, uh, we, we shed skin and things like that, which is DNA. And it's harder to do in a non-aquatic environment, but in a, an aquatic environment, water, you can take a big sample of water, do uh, essentially tests for DNA in it, and then you can track what animals have passed through uh, there. Okay. So it's a way of That's finding out what species are in an area without actually seeing them. Um, and, you know, there can be some there are some like uh, complications with it at times, but in general, it's quite reliable. And you, you'll see all sorts of studies out in deep ocean where they'll just drag a big net, collect a lot of that has like a tube at the end, collects a load of water and stuff. You run it through an eDNA yeah. uh, barcoding system, essentially, and you can be like, oh, okay, so we've got whale sharks, we've got X, ah, Y, and okay. Z. Anyway, they were doing it in the um, waterways in Bristol, and they found that it actually has quite a high percentage of rare aquatic animals drifting through the bristol waterways including things like the european eel the atlantic uh, mackerel as well as salmon and place oh, that's interesting all of which are fish that aren't spotted too often mm. and are have you know have been struggling with water quality habitat loss all the normal stuff and so it was reassuring or a good sign for the health of the waterway that some of these animals are actually using them and, and are right. actually present oh, in really there. So that was cool mm. uh, that that news story came out quite recently and then on a, on a similar note, um, this going up into Manchester, 
but brown trout have been spotted for the first time since the Industrial Revolution in the River Irk. So that must mean that the water quality is improving. improving. Yeah, and I think the other river... I should know this, really. The other river up there is the River Irwell. Irwell? Irwell? I don't know how you say it. But it, they, it tends to be a slightly cleaner river. Yeah. And it's not often... Or it's been a long time since they've seen fish moving from one into the Irk. Um, and so the fact that we're now seeing... Or they've spotted brown trout, it's just a good sign that the water quality, the habitat, must be getting better. So has there been conscious efforts to be improving that water quality? Yeah. I guess there's been projects... That have I mean, been... there's, there's projects all over the country yeah. trying to improve the water quality in all of our waterways yeah. and i can do a little plug obviously for like the mersey river trust and, and people like that are out there the the local rivers trusts along with other groups as well are out there trying to improve the habitats and the water quality in all of our rivers across yeah uk and ireland just get a beaver just get a beaver and so so yeah i guess that one probably is in the jurisdiction for the mersey rivers trust um but yeah it's just a good sign that the brown trout have been spotted so in, in the river that has since the industrial revolution really struggled health-wise so it must be a sign that the the habitat is improving otherwise That's they wouldn't great. be wouldn't be in there so nice positive fish stories yeah well. i like that because again you know i can go back most of mine are birdie tails so you know I, i'm passionate about white-tailed eagles and again i mentioned the fact that i'd seen this white-tailed eagle in arundel, in arundel. Uh, but what it turns out now is it seems that a pair of them now are have settled in the Aran district and they're being seen in various places but there's an rspb site called Poolborough brooks which again is quite close to where i live here and um people are posting on instagram white-tailed eagles fishing um at Poolborough brooks which is, is incredible. an incredible thing to see so we didn't need to go to scotland yes we did we still need to go to scotland um but it appears they're not just, you know, popping over from the Isle of Wight. It appears that they're actually settling in this area, which is an, an amazing thing, really. So white-tailed eagles in the Arran district, fantastic. Yeah. Um, and it means that the the reintroduction on the Isle of Wight has been really successful. I think they started that project in 2019 or 2020 where they introduced, I think it was initially four birds. Then they did another six in 2021. And these birds now are spreading their wings a little bit and popping uh, um, across. One of, well, one of the hopes was that they would eventually settle in the southeast of England because, of course, the most, the largest population of white-tailed eagles in the UK, of course, is up in Scotland. So one of the big hopes when they reintroduce them on the Isle of Wight is that they would start to settle in the southeast of England. I mean, we've got lots of habitat with coastal cliffs and coastal Yes, and, and what again that means is if they are doing that, um, is that the areas are able to support yeah. that. Because obviously we have a lot of buzzards and peregrines and sparrowhawks and red kites. I mean, red kites have got to be one of the best reintroductions that absolutely so successful. Um, so successful that started down in Somerset and now yeah. that has spread. You know, anyone who drives up the M40 to or through the Midlands will see so many place. red yeah. kite. Um, and that's been incredibly successful. So, But if the white-tailed eagles are going to, to thrive, then that means that the environment can support yeah. it and that's a good thing and so. considering how historically our birds of prey have been prosecuted it's nice that when they can start making a comeback like the red, red kites for example they've gone through a lot of a lot of our birds I think of you prey. might have been persecuted but that's okay prosecute persecuted yeah probably but that's fine they, no, they went through the uh, the court system as yeah well, they probably yeah. did yeah, yeah. F- f- speeding tickets and no, all i sorts. like prosecuted yeah, they've been but, prosecuted yeah. it's nice to see them 
coming back. And so we've done Definitely. it with the red kites. And, it, and it, like I say, they are top of the food chain creatures, which means that the ecosystem below them yeah. has to be healthy if yeah. we want them to survive. No, absolutely. So, um, so that's a good news story for me, um, particularly it being so local and uh, such an amazing experience seeing a bird like that. You know, fly it over seems out of place and just the scale it really the... does you know the, but so that's a really good news story i got a few others from around the world oh okay just little snippets little global ones. unless you've got one that you want to do a little bit more on. no i've got a few little snippets in here which are quite good for example it is very close to being agreed that commercial whaling will end in oh, iceland. iceland i did see did that see story that? yeah i saw it i think the natural history museum did an article yes on they it. did yeah um, in fact, I've got quite a few nice facts from the Natural History Museum website. Um, tigers are going from strength to strength in India. As the expansion of their protected areas continues to grow, um, there's been a, a really big increase oh, in their population, which is a fantastic good news yeah. story. Because rarely see good news you know, about we've the probably tigers. over the last 20 or 30 years, you hear virtually every other week that tiger population, you know, tiger's yeah. going to be extinct by 2030. They're sort of always and, clumped together with like the rhino yes, and all these large exactly. animals that have just gone down and down and down. Um, what else have I got here? Um, there's a massive national forest in Alaska called Tongass National Forest. Is that, was that Alaska? In Alaska. And it's, I mean, we. T- I wanted to put this one in because we, as Brits, this is going to sound a bit wrong, but as Brits, we always think of the US as being a country that probably doesn't think so much. I mean, certainly when Donald Trump was president, um, doesn't give enough attention to, let's say, conservation and our green spaces and our forests and all of that Although stuff. we are sitting here in what is known as one of the most nature-depleted countries that in the world. True. So um, yes, exactly that is true. So that, that is a very good point. Um, but anyway, they've now granted full protection status to this national forest, which have been pretty much devastated by commercial logging. And it's one of the most important national forests in the whole of America. In fact, it holds 44% of the carbon stored in the whole of the US national forest system is stored in this, mm, that in is this incre- That's a huge amount then. It's a huge amount. And the US has now granted it full protection status. That is and, a good news story. And actually, it's hugely significant for biodiversity because it's got, they say, it's got the largest concentration of black bears in the world and all sorts of very rare flora, fauna, trees, massive biodiverse area which had just been being devastated by commercial logging. And now at last, the US government has made it full protection area. So that's a really good good news story. story. I mean, even if you take those three, if we lived in a world where Iceland wasn't whaling, the tigers' populations were flourishing and one of the largest, most important national forests in America is protected. Those three things together are incredible. Yeah, so those are a few little stories. I could talk about three UK universities of banned fossil fuel companies from recruiting on their campuses. Yeah, I did see did that see one that? as well. There's been, I thought was a very good There's thing. been quite a big push from universities in general to become greener yeah. sl- slash more ethical in funding and, yeah. and that sort of stuff. So that was a really cool thing. That's to a see. really good thing. And apparently Lloyds Bank have announced it will not finance any new oil and it's gas funny because I've literally Britain. just left Lloyds because they're one of the biggest financers of fossil fuels. Ah, well, they're I, just, they've I, announced recently they will not finance any yeah, new... new. I left, the, I left them. Fields. You can actually go to a website called 
I can't remember whether it's green.bank or bank.green. One of those two. And you can type in your UK bank and it will tell you how green slash ethical oh, okay. they are. And Lloyd's were in the top five for the worst. The the being Lloyd's, HSBC, um, Barclays, the, the the real big ones yeah. are so bad at funding awful industries. Do you think they're listening to us? I hope so. I did email them. Did I, I emailed them to say because that website asks you to pick a more ethical bank and explain why you've left. I don't have enough money for them to be funding anything with. Maybe they could fill up their tank of fuel in their car with my with my money. They're not really funding any big industry. But the, the point being, they, they do use their customers' money yeah. for awful financial investments. Yeah. And uh, so I did leave. And then I left and about a week later saw that they wouldn't fund any new ones. Anyway, we're in danger of getting political and we don't get political on this only sometimes. podcast. Um, um, so we yeah, will... That, that is, again, it's still... But even, it's all good news. It is still good news. And even... The fact that someone like Lloyd is making that sort of statement yeah. shows the pressure that's being yeah. put on them to change. And so even even that sort of thing, I take as quite a big win because it takes a lot to make a big company yeah. change their Well, ways. it's all about money, isn't yeah. it? That's the problem. So to see some something like that happen just shows the pressure from public and campaigners I, I and think, stuff for, for think, these, these yeah. changes to happen. So you have to take it as a win. You definitely have to take it as a win. And I think... As we go on more and more now, this awareness of what we're doing to our planet is becoming, um, you know, more and more talked about. And, yeah. and it's not just, you know, the eco-activists that are doing this. I think it's coming down to ground level, normal people realising yeah. not only the importance, and we talked about this from a mental health and from a feel-good uh, perspective. It's not just that our green spaces and blue spaces and... Is that rain? That's rain. Oh, blimey. And being out in nature is so good for everyone. I think people are beginning to actually really appreciate that and realise that it is worthwhile protecting yeah. it and doing and talking about it. And I think all the time people are talking about it, and I don't mean, you know, going and throwing cans of paint over motorways and all of that stuff, but, okay, that has a place maybe, but um, I just think, as I get older, the awareness now of all of these, the importance of these places is becoming so much more talked about. Yeah. And I think that's a fantastic thing. Yeah. And like, like I've said, I'll say again, as soon as you start seeing big companies, corporations, big industries, even if they don't really want to, but having to change their ways, otherwise they'll lose funding or customers yeah. or whatever, just shows the impact that yeah. these conversations are having. Yeah. Um, it's very easy to get little local companies to go green but to try and get multi-billion dollar companies to be like fine we're not funding our biggest money maker because they're not ethical or they're not green it takes a lot a lot of campaigning and a lot of pressure so when it happens you have to sort of celebrate it yes you do and i've been reading all sorts i mean i'm a member of wwt and rspb but wwt been reading lots about projects that they're doing not only in um the countryside but in urban areas as well where they're trying to create blue what we call blue spaces waterways um repurposing old canals and rivers and waterways to make wetland areas and areas biodiverse areas and actually that that can work in an urban area yeah. as well and and just how fantastic the impact of doing that is and this four or five projects going on around the country at the moment and not just on on nature again i'm going to plug my own content here for the rivers trust yeah but um for example there's been a lot of studies towards the end of 2022 i think like we've said before being out in nature 
green spaces in particular like historically have been linked to improved mental well-being yeah. mental health but more and more studies are starting to differentiate green and blue spaces yeah. and, and the actual positive mental impact it can have to spend time around rivers canals the sea yeah. and the fact that these studies were even showing that after you'd visited one and then left the the benefit is long lasting yeah and so trying to integrate that into urban areas not only for our wildlife but just to try and benefit people as well yeah uh, shows the importance of these spaces across the board ecologically environmentally and humanly yes and for <laughs> me for me the positive news for 2023 is that there are all of these organizations working so hard working really hard and all of these projects that are going on they're working together with governments now and of course with this cop 15 there's a huge amount of funding being put in place by these 200 nations for these targets to try and be reached in 2030 where they're going to try and protect 30 percent of the planet's green and blue spaces by 2030 um so my good news positive 2023 is in fact i'm reading more and more yeah. about these things and that's and i'm sure we'll continue to good thing. bring it up in in the podcast as as we've always yeah. done at the end of each episode we try and highlight something yeah. good and it's just all this stuff going on in the background there are there are positive things and it's nice to do it at the end of the year it's like a, a roundup of the fact that lots of bad stuff happened in 2022 but lots of good stuff happened Definitely. as well and and you have to take those take those with with Definitely. the and that kind of leads us on now to what we want to do with our little podcast for this year then, yeah. i guess have you things that you've got little aims and goals for things that we're going to chat about things that you want to do so we can chat about um, um i think as far as topics I quite like our, what we what we're doing at the moment, taking a variety of species specific information, whether it's it's something like the beavers where we're trying to dispel myths or just highlighting a species that needs protection. Um, I think I just want because uh, uh, we started this towards the end of 2022, just a relatively consistent 2023 of good content. Yeah, yeah, definitely for me, just to keep up the quality of content and not be sitting here chatting about just to keep enjoying aimlessly it. but to to enjoy it and for me it would always be i want to talk about the experiences and those moments that i have when i'm out taking pictures of birds there are lots of places i'd love to visit uh, not necessarily that far away from me but there's lots of rspb sites one down in dorset i really want to go to there's a wwt um, site in Somerset called Steat Marshes that I really want to go to. Maybe my goal um, for 2023 would should be to come with more wildlife relevant catch up material because it does typically end up being you rather than me. So yeah, well maybe I've got a little bit more time to get out and about than you. I don't know, but um, so my goals really are to keep learning. I want to keep learning as much as I can through 2023 about birds and their behaviour and their migration patterns we've got the, the bto research stuff yes. coming through now haven't you? yeah so. definitely and um and uh, so that i can you know i can learn more about what birds i'll see at various times of the year and where um i have a mission to to go to some different places as i've said and and i want to chat more about those moments and how it makes me feel because my happy place is out in nature taking watching birds not just birds but all the other wildlife that surround the birds while i'm out and about um 
I think my mine would also need to be not for the podcast but for the uh, bug in the lens insta is do a better job of building a backlog for winter <laughs> because i have my posts have been sparse since the insects have disappeared and especially now that you finish work and it's dark yes. so I, I lose the ability yeah. to go for after work photography sessions is to be so productive with my photography in summer that i've got enough photos to actually post because it's been quite sad to see the quantity drop off over over winter so yes, i want to try I'm, and get I'm, out there a little bit more i'm very lucky obviously because i have Birds, winter birds just different birds at different times of the year so pretty much 12 months of the year i can go out and find something to photograph um so i'm very lucky in that respect so uh but yeah so that probably i think with the podcast it. it's just um you know we're hoping that people enjoy listening to us and to and keep to enjoying keep, it to keep enjoying yeah. doing it um because that's what it's all about it's uh it, it's something that we love doing um but we also want to bring you some interesting stuff as well yeah so. a nice mix of yeah. of information and uh, i guess that sort of takes us yeah. to to the end so uh, it's a bit late what we're on we're, as we're recording it's the seventh but still happy new year to people yes. who are listening happy new year and again thanks very much for all your support in 2022 yeah, I mean, we started as two people with no real following so to have uh nearly 500 listens across eight episodes is, is more than we would have expected oh, I think. a lot more yeah. um so we appreciate all the people who, who are listening and, and hopefully you continue to enjoy it and uh yeah that's yeah, it, great. Really. Okay, well, I look forward to the next episode. I don't quite know what we're going to do next time, but, but um, I'm sure it'll be something good. Something and good. yeah, we'll catch you next time. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for thanks for listening. Bye bye.